Hello, everybody. Welcome to the State of Mind podcast, where we create space for conversations about mental health that change lives by bringing you the stories underneath the slogans. We want people to learn that they are empowered by their experience, not inhibited. My name is Mike Stroh. I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm the founder of Starts With Me, a consultancy that specializes in K-12 education and workplace mental health. I'm someone who's lived through a variety of mental health, illness, and addiction challenges, and I've dedicated my life to helping people reduce their suffering and to promote their innate capacity for well-being. On today's episode, I interview Curtis Stamp. Curtis ditched his 9 to 5 nearly two decades ago in pursuit of entrepreneurial freedom. In addition to owning and operating a successful self-managing company, Curtis found his true passion in helping others as a Bob Proctor PGI consultant. Curtis is a personal growth, mindset, and success mentor, teaching others how to destroy negative, self-limiting habits and beliefs to create and nurture a bulletproof mindset and powerful self-image so they can accelerate their results in any area of their life in the shortest amount of time possible. In this episode, Curtis and I discuss how he overcame a difficult childhood and difficult experiences as a teen and young man to finally surrender to those challenges and find a path that promoted his health and well-being and allowed his business to thrive in a way that he never could before. Curtis shares a ton of wisdom on personal growth, on overcoming our blind spots, of being honest and courageous to look at those blind spots, to look at our darkness, to walk through our darkness, and to use that to inspire himself and to support his ability to help others do the same. I've known Curtis not all that well, but for nearly 30 years now, and It's remarkable when you know somebody in high school, you are aware of their struggles, and then you reconnect with them in old age, so to speak, and you get to see and admire the amazing accomplishments they've achieved. And I find Curtis to be a really inspiring, insightful young man, and I think you will learn a lot from him, not only personally in your personal life, but maybe in your working life as well and in your relationships. So without further ado, I bring you Curtis Stamp. Curtis, thank you for being here and for doing this. Can you please tell people a bit about yourself and how you got to where you are and what you're up to? Absolutely, Mike. My, my pleasure for being here. I appreciate you inviting me on. Um, so I'm Curtis. I'm born and raised in Toronto. I've been a serial entrepreneur um, my whole life, really started at a very young age, starting my own businesses in my early teens. Um, and as we know, and we'll get into during the show, struggled uh, for many years with different mental health challenges and addiction challenges. And uh, now I'm on the other side and I have some very successful businesses and I'm working as a Bob Proctor consultant as well. So I am taking my message and Bob's message around the world and sharing with other people that um, have suffered and, you know, need a lot of this information that I've come across over my years to help them make the changes and be successful in their life as well. Yeah, I definitely want to hear I, I, from what we discussed prior. I love a lot of the stuff you're doing with that 
kind of entrepreneurial coaching, the, the proctor stuff. So prior to that, um, where, I guess as a young person, how, and we, funny enough, know each other from high school and went through similar yet different things. How, how did your teenage years, like how did that part of your experience develop and how did it impact you? And like, if you don't mind kind of sharing some of that from when you were a teen and, and into a young man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, teenage years were not, uh, they were not ideal. I struggled incredibly as a teenager and even as a younger child. Um, as far as I, I can remember, um, way back to probably six to eight years old, I just never, ever felt um, that I belonged. I felt super uncomfortable in my body. I felt uh, very afraid of everything that was around me. And that just seemed to get worse. And I didn't obviously didn't have any clue what was happening to me at the time. I just knew that everything I saw, the world around me was just this incredibly scary place. I didn't trust anyone. I didn't feel like I fit in. And, um, you know, that obviously continued into high school, grade school, middle school, high school. It impacted me. Even at such a young age, I was starting to drop out of classes in middle school because I was way too uncomfortable to present anything in front of people. Um, anytime there was a presentation in class, I would just go MIA, I would take off. And, you know, I would just get in trouble. The teachers really just thought I was a young punk kid that was just, you know, a no good kid. But the truth was, it was far from the truth. I was troubled, I was really uh, traumatized, I was scared. Um, so the way it was handled then just reinforced to me that something was wrong with me and, and I just continued to carry more shame. Um, and then when I got into high school and I got introduced to alcohol and drugs, it just, it honestly just got even worse. Um, just got even more disconnected from the truth, uh, even more disconnected from who I was. And, and it became very angry and violent and, and just started to smoke a lot of marijuana, started getting into alcohol. I was just full of rage, full of anger, full of hate, full of shame. Um, and of course, really incredibly impacted my ability to learn because, um, you know, just on top of having drugs and alcohol in my system, I was getting more, um, it was more important for me to start smoking pot than it was to attend class. And then when I did attend class, I just didn't feel like I belonged there at all. I just didn't have patience with myself, um, felt really uncomfortable and, and scared again. Like I was just so full of fear at a young age. Yeah, th that's well articulated. And I'm sort of reflecting simultaneously on my own experience, which is so similar. I think one thing that's helpful to understand when I'm working in schools and in most places is that everyone focuses, and this is inherently human without reflection and skill on the external behavior, right? This kid is bad. They're doing something that's not okay. Therefore they should be punished or disciplined or whatever. And there's a fine line between holding people accountable or holding people responsible for their behavior. And then on the same side of that, being compassionate and trying to help them or looking underneath the surface. And I think it's changed a little bit with a lot of the mental health education stuff that's gone on, but at the same time, we're still very surface focused. And I, I never, I remember one time 
my grade 11 Spanish teacher. And just for the record, we went to the same high school too, which is hilarious. <laughs> Although I don't know if you graduated from Northern, I did not. But, I never did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was the only teacher that I at least remember who kind of sat me down one day and just looked at me in the eye and asked me if I was okay or if I needed anything or if she could help in any way. Yeah. And of course, being full of fear and, and who knows, I mean, I was criminal basically so i was didn't want to open up to anybody and terrified and anyhow um other than that nobody ever asked or or of course as a teen you don't think to ask but anyhow so thank you for that and and so how did you go on from there what what kind of happened from high school that's so interesting though it's true not one person of all those things that happened all those scenes that I created around my school around my <laughs> life no one ever sat me down and said hey like what's going on or even explained to me something was going on because that's all I knew right. that's what I was raised yeah. with and that's all I knew I just knew that this is the way I was raised to be violent to be angry to not trust people to you know just have these episodes and nothing was ever said about it even at my home it was just like nothing was said about it nothing was spoken about the, yeah, it's such a big one. So the, the sh and you mentioned the sort of the shame and the fear, which is so, I didn't start learning about that, obviously, until long, many, probably decades later, but that's really intense for kids, this sort of sense of guilt and shame. Yeah, and if you're constantly told that you're bad, a troublemaker, and so on and so forth, I think you mentioned something too around, it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways yeah. or it gets internalized without knowing it um so how did you get through high school and then what happened from there yeah high school really just got really bad before it got better i mean it just it really did i mean i just started getting in more bad situations started really connecting with the people that i thought were cool but they were even worse they were just drawing me down even a worse worse past worst path um, I thought, um, you know, they were people I looked up to for some reason at that time. And, um, I guess it's because they kind of intimidated the other kids. So I thought it was cool to be around them. So I felt maybe safer as I'm reflecting a bit more now. Um, but things got worse. I, I ended up dropping out of high school multiple times, went to, I think four or five different high schools, um, and, you know, during this time, I knew that I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. But at the same time, I had no support in my life. So eventually, when I was around 18, 19, something clicked in me where I just said, like, at the very least, I have to finish high school. Like, I have to, because I would have been another person in my family that didn't even finish high school. And so I got just this, you know, burning desire to go back there and just dedicate myself. I stopped all the unhealthy habits I was doing. And I went back and I went to an adult learning center and aced everything coming from, you know, failing grades to acing. And that was because I made the decision to go back and, and, you know, commit myself. And that's where things started to shift. I, I would say that I just got sick and tired of, of suffering and uh, just made a decision to make a change. And, and again, that was a good change, but again, it was only temporary. Um, after I got you know, my high school diploma, I moved into college, but then again, just the old, I, I, that decision I made wasn't strong enough. And my 
image I held of myself and the belief I had held of myself wasn't, didn't change. So I only got some temporary reprieve, I guess you could say. And, and then things got even worse. So, so what, um, that's it, so interesting to, because there's sort of this balance of opening up and realizing things and taking action and then falling sort of the one step forward, one step back, or however you would describe that. What did you choose? Was there a guidance counselor along the way? How did you even think to apply to college? And how did that even happen? Like, were you working? Like, what is it that, yeah, got you going? Yeah, honestly, at that point, in all of my school career, there was nobody there for me. Like, maybe they offered to be at the time, and I just wasn't able to take it, or I still didn't recognize it as an offer for help, because I was just not ready for it. So I can't say that no one ever offered me. All I know is the way I remember it, there was no one there. Um, so it was just like, like I said, it was just, I knew ever since I was young, I knew there was always better. I knew that, that I always wanted more. Where that comes from, it's funny. I had a conversation with someone yesterday, or no, two days ago. He's working with uh, inner city youth in the States that are very traumatized. And he asked me that. He said, where did your desire come from to change and I, I couldn't answer that I, I still to this day I don't know I don't know where the drive to want more be more have more really came from because that wasn't really what I was brought up with no one in my house was striving to you know grow as a person to grow in their health to grow in their business and be successful you know um, so I don't know where that drive came from but it's there and it's still there but it was there and I just refused to accept my circumstances. And so I decided after college, excuse me, after high school that I needed to make a shift. And then for some reason, I decided to, you know, enroll in, in college. Um, I thought it would be a smart idea to go the other path and enroll into this course called Police Foundations, which was ironic considering my background. It was like 180 degree turn from where I was at that time when I was applying. And so then what happened? So, well, one thing I actually wanted to mention was sometimes I think it's enough to, and it is so hard to pinpoint where the decision comes from that I want a different life, I want, et cetera. But what I think is <clears throat> easier for people to discover is I don't want this. Like, yeah. I don't know necessarily what I want, but whatever is happening now, I don't want anymore. Um, I, sometimes I think that's helpful for people to kind of orient themselves in a different direction. But, um, and then, so wait, you went, <laughs> so you went to this police foundations course or whatever, yeah. and how did that go? <laughs> well, I would, I, I love that you said that as well, because when I'm working with new people, not to get off on a tangent, but that's yeah, the thing, no, please, we yeah. can't get people thinking about what they want it's easier to just go back to like, what is it that you don't want? And then start yeah. working from there, right? Because I did yeah. know what I didn't want. So that's a good point. But I, I wasn't sure what I wanted. I just knew it wasn't that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, awesome. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear how you how you do that with people and like on the entrepreneurial venture. But let's I want to finish off just how did you get from this? I, I just think the stories are so helpful. And and inspiring to hear people articulate it so you're um you register for college you 
you go like what what happens <laughs> yeah it honestly i just i i knew immediately the day that i walked into that classroom like i was not in the right spot um, and i mean i felt that many times in my life like i've shared with you i just i just never yeah. felt like i belonged but first i just knew that wasn't me i'm not a person that um i wasn't going to proactively go and just put myself in other people's business and stuff like that and, and i think there's it's a great thing that they do it just i just knew immediately it wasn't for me but i stuck it out because i said i'm not going to quit this because i've i've quit so many things in my life i i just said i paid for this i'm committing to it it's going to take me to a next direction in my life so let's just give it my all and i did and you know i made some good friends in there and um, got some education and really i think the gift of it was just knowing that it was steering me to a cleaner way of life um, because i thought if i ever did decide to have a shift in mindset where this is what I want to become. I couldn't be associating anymore with the people I was. I couldn't be doing the things I was doing. So it inspired me again to just increase that uh, effort to reduce smoking marijuana. And you would think that I wouldn't be smoking it when I enrolled, right? <laughs> you know, so it just, it gave me even more reason to continually move towards a healthier, healthier life. And, and so I don't ever regret it. Um, doesn't really matter the course the program itself i think it was so loosely put together it was um nothing i would recommend personally for that particular one but again it did redirect me into where i needed to go so like i said you know sometimes like steve Jobs said too you can't connect the dots looking forward you can only connect them looking back so as i look back like it really you can see how it all came together and if you were asking me at the time, it just, it looked just like such chaos. Um, it did lead me to a summer job, which turned into about a two and a half year uh, position with this architect firm. And that's where things really started to shift for me. Um, I never had a job, a real job, as my mom would say until then. <laughs> um, I, I worked in businesses with my father and she just didn't think there were real jobs because I wasn't a nine to fiver. And she's, so she was always shaming me about that, um, but it was good. And I, and I worked a lot with my dad and did different businesses with him and helped him uh, really make those a lot more profitable. So I knew from a young age, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, that's something I always held in my mind that I wanted to make a lot of money. Um, Cause I grew up with, um, as you know, we grew up at Young and Lawrence area. Young and I, there's quite a bit of wealth there. And uh, I always judged myself on other people's wealth because we, we weren't broke, but we didn't have a lot of money. Like we, we got by and we weren't uncomfortable, but we were far from wealthy. And so I always saw the kids I was growing up with that had wealth. And I always thought because they had money, their life was better, which I've learned obviously isn't necessarily true. Um, so that, that was always driving me as well. And then when I got into this new position, this architect firm, I was exposed to a completely different lifestyle there. Uh, I was, you know, I was working nine to five. I took a, actually a pretty significant pay cut from when I was working in those different businesses with my father to work here. Um, but I did want a change. So, you know, taking that pay cut was really not a big deal for me because I, I just, I was so tired of doing what I was doing. I just wanted to do something different. And so I ended up working there for a few years. And again, I, I kind of worked my way up in there as, as much as I could considering the rank that I had. I was like the guy running around, running errands for people and doing all the banking. It's really 
low level admin stuff. But what I did is I always wanted to do more. So I was, uh, you know, the owners of this firm is a very prestigious architect firm in Toronto that's done a lot of uh, well-known work. And they recognized that I was hungry. So they always brought me over to their places and flew me to New York for their offices there and had me detailing their cars. And so I started to get exposed to some of their lifestyle. And I was like, oh, I like this, you know? Um, and they were super nice people as well, but they taught me really the foundation of, um, of how to really run a business. And so when I was working there, I realized that after two years or so that like, I don't want to be here anymore again, I, I need something more. But during this time, um, I actually got even heavier into drugs. So I was still working consistently in nine to five. I was never using during the day, but in between, um, you know, work and home, I was, you know, using drugs a lot. And my life was really worse. I, I had this uh, inferiority complex, I guess you could say. And uh, as much as I was surrounded by these really good people, I was interacting with the different staff members all day. And they would never, they would tell you I was the happiest guy they've ever met, the nicest guy, the happiest guy. Um, but that was furthest from the truth. Yeah, I was nice to them. And I liked them but I didn't like myself and I was hiding so much behind that smile. I was in so much pain, so much discomfort in my life. Like I just was not happy. And uh, I hit it for a couple of years there. And eventually the lady that I worked for, uh, Verlene, who's been honestly, this woman changed my life in so many ways. And she's just, she is an incredible woman. She was strict and stern and kicked my ass, <laughs> but she was a great woman. And she's still, she's still alive and she's in her 70s now and just looks amazing for her age. And uh, she still kicks my ass from time to time. But uh, she recognized there was something off with me. And she started pulling me aside and talking to me about it. And she's like, you know, I don't want you here the rest of your life. I really know you can do more, um, but I just know something's off with you. And, and, I, and I, didn't ex I didn't open up to her for a while. And she kept pushing. She kept pushing. And she eventually got me to crack and I shared with her kind of what was happening in my personal life. And then she was the person that encouraged me and kind of said, Hey, like there's places where you could go talk to someone. And so that's when I started getting into the system, as I call it, um, of mental health and, and, you know, talking to people about my addictions and just like the stuff that was going on inside of me and the behaviors that I was doing that no one but myself knew, which carried so much shame. Cause I mean, you want to think about anything you can be addicted to. I wasn't into hard, hard drugs, but different types of behavior, you know, um, behaviors um, and, you know, marijuana, obviously cocaine a bit and, and alcohol. And uh, that's a hard drug alcohol. And even marijuana can be really hard depending on how it's used, as you know, right? Um, no one knew about this. So it was like when I stepped into this person's office the first time, I just like, puked up all this stuff that I was doing. And, uh, and that's when it started. So I started at Cam H in Toronto. That was the first place I ever went to. Uh, can I was, ask you? Yeah, of course. Sorry, I just want to ask you, because that's such a lovely example. So part of our, I'm doing some work um, in a few weeks with some corporate clients. And a lot of their requests is around how do you speak to somebody in a way that's more likely for them to open up or at least to express the concern. And so 
can you hear that background noise or no i just heard a touch okay what was okay, it cool <laughs> well we own a daycare and so my office is close to the daycare and sometimes it just gets rowdy um <laughs> <laughs> so uh thank you for answering that so I, i'm curious just what about that? And you articulated it pretty nicely that she, you know, she recognized that something was up. She saw that your good qualities, which you were, you were diligent and disciplined and hardworking. Um, and I, I'm curious a bit about that process, because often we think, oh, if I just ask someone how they're doing, or I say, I, I see that you're suffering, I want to help. And then the person's like, what do you mean? I'm fine. Um, yeah. and people kind of give up or they think, oh, why doesn't this person talk to me? I asked them how they were doing and they, yeah. they didn't answer. So that takes consistent effort. And only when the person knows they're safe enough or like that this person genuinely cares about them, um, that they might be willing to open up. So maybe if you could just expand a bit on that relationship, she sounds like a a lovely person so she yeah. is tough love and that's why i chuckled because uh Verlene <laughs> isn't maybe the best example but it worked with me <laughs> she you know she'd call bullshit she'd be like nah i don't believe it bullshit like but she kept pushing and uh Verlene wasn't as, as she's she can be kind but she's she's tough and i think at that point i needed that a little bit uh just in that moment of time but as i started to open up i mean i needed someone that was so gentle it was unbelievable because I was so uh sensitive I, like, beyond what I could ever imagine someone would be um but for me I can share how I do it and I help a lot of people now I help people in my business I help people as a business um I lead by being vulnerable myself and uh I'm, I'm really good at picking up um body language you know someone can tell you something and you can clearly see that's not the truth, right? So just really being gentle, open and vulnerable with them. And like you said, letting them know it's safe to talk to me um, really has allowed me to open up and, and get really into some very um, vulnerable, you know, deep conversations with people that really haven't had them too often. So I would say just leading, you know, with some vulnerability, but not pushing. You can only lead a little by just kind of inviting them in you can't I, I won't force anyone to say something they don't want to say but I will definitely push a tiny bit just so they know that maybe they should and like just leading by vulnerability and um, again just I, I most people that talk to me just say they feel a sense of security so I don't know what it is about that they pick up from that for me but most people say you just feel like a person i could trust and i could talk to and maybe that has to do with experience and maybe i have a non-judgmental attitude i think judgment judgment is one of the most damaging things for sure you mentioned um inviting that that's such a nice kind of way of being to be open and inviting it's sort of i'm here or this offer is here when you're quote unquote ready or willing to receive it. Um, okay. And, and I, I would agree with that about you. You, you do have this sort of nice openness about you. Um, so, so, okay. So you, <clears throat> let's go back. You went to CAMH and then 
kind of how did that process work? And then let's kind of get into how you turned all of that into, yeah. into the man and the business you are now. Yeah. That was honestly a 10 year rabbit hole that I opened up there at KMH. It took me many, many years. Um, I would not be joking if I said I've invested 150,000 at least into my personal development and recovery. Uh, some business-wise for sure. And a lot of it meant mental uh, development and personal development to try to get where I wanted to go. Because as I hit KMH, then I just went into this system, which I feel there's so many unqualified people. Um, I know everyone has a lot of good intentions, but I was not, and my path was different. Some people can go right in and probably find the right person. And that's great. But for some reason, whatever reason it was, my path didn't look like that. My path was long. It was drawn out. It was painful. It was so many ups and downs and relapses and finding the wrong person and different therapists, different organizations. Like I traveled to different parts of the US. I went to different rehabs. You know, I invested in hypnotherapists and acupuncturists and energy workers and different uh, types of modalities I was trying. And I wasn't just trying something for a week and give up. Like when I go in, I go in. So it wasn't that at all. It didn't look like, oh, I'm trying you for a week and it didn't work. So I'm going to go somewhere else. It's not the way it worked at all. I invested heavily in my time, my energy, my effort and gave it everything I had. And at some point I realized like this isn't working any longer. So I would, something would open up. I would get introduced to someone else and then my path would take another direction. And the thing was, I was always never ready to settle. And I was always open to new information. Sometimes I'd have to hear that information numerous times. And then all of a sudden, it was like the first time I heard it. I was like, oh, oh, I see what you mean. Um, people would sometimes chuckle about that. Uh, I spent many, many, many hours in multiple different types of 12-step groups, all that. I went all that route as well. Um, and this was just the period of 10 years. You know, I started to grow through those, those periods, but... Sometimes I think it was just because I had so much trauma and problems that it, I just needed to have so much different types of uh, exposure, so many different modalities to see what worked. Like, I, I don't think if you told me right now that where I started to get the more traction, if I got that the day that I walked in, I don't think that would have been the answer. I just think as I kept going through these things, I became more and more ready and more receptive to new information and new people and and the changes just happen gradually if that makes sense yeah yeah it does and as i and it it must it's part of your who you are in some sense and and it comes out in what you have already discussed prior but the the determination of whatever it is i'm gonna do i'm gonna do it to the best of my ability and and regardless kind of of what comes in front of me, which I think is part of probably why you are so successful now. So the, maybe what, if you could kind of, it's never so simple, but what were some of the main things that you learned through that process that helped you come to terms with who you were and, and sort of that set the foundation for you to really kind of take off? Yeah, first thing that comes up when you ask that is actually don't ignore your gut feelings. I ignored my gut feelings a lot of times because 
I wasn't confident enough with who I was. I didn't believe in myself enough to speak up on my own behalf. And this goes into some of the medical things I had to go through. I had so much different types of physical pain as well. Um, and I kept listening to these people that I was coming across. And a lot of these people had a lot of fancy titles behind their names, you know, well-known people. And my gut was, I got value from them, absolutely. And it helped me go in the directions that I needed to go, absolutely. But there was sometimes where I would, my gut would be telling me, like, I've had enough here or what they're saying isn't right, like, go this way. And I ignored it. I ignored it. And as I've got more comfortable with who I am, I don't need to consult with people anymore. Um, I know how to make good decisions now. I, I know what I want. I'm so much more comfortable with who I was. I make great decisions now. Um, and that's the one thing I would say is like, I ignored my intuition. I ignored my gut feelings. I, <clears throat> that's beautiful. I, can you, I always get curious is that the same intuition or gut feeling that you ignored when you were using and getting high and all that kind of stuff? Like I, when I think back to my own experience, really it was a girlfriend when I was 12, 13, 14, who kept saying, hey, you're not okay. This isn't okay. Your behavior, so on and so forth is not helpful. That started the internal voice of, yeah, actually she's right. This is yeah. not okay, but I would continually ignore that, ignore that, ignore that. And now that to me, it's just the conscience, right? Or some form of awareness. And that's the voice that I try to listen to now or became able to listen to and take that advice. So I guess the question is it, for you, was it the same voice or the same I don't know, awareness that was telling you when you were younger that whatever wasn't okay or? Yeah, was it was, but it wasn't as strong. What I've come to realize now, again, we'll get into it uh, most likely later on in our conversation is that the intuition is a muscle and it wasn't developed for me. Um, it got really clouded from all this external things happening around me and stuff that I was doing, but it's a muscle. It's one of our intellectual faculties. And I've been taught now how to continually strengthen it. So I would say yes, but uh, whatever you want to call it, ego, pain, fear, I totally ignored it because I didn't, and, and I didn't have anyone to um, talk to at that time. So I just thought I would try to do it on my own and it didn't work too well. <laughs> That's yeah, that what a wonderful uh, reminder that, <laughs> Yeah, trying to kind of do it alone just is, it is futile, work. and it yeah no, and it's not. Nor should it work. We're humans. We're we're communal beings. We need each other. Yeah. So so, how um, did you start to blend this intuition with your? Um, I don't know what the word would be. Uh, ha work ethic i'll just say that i was going to put an adjective in advance of that but yeah yeah how did that blend into your businesses and where you are now well i laugh because it just it's a great reminder how much i ignored that intuition as well in my business so the first oh, i'm i say like my my business or people's business is a direct reflection of what's going on inside of them um i had a lot of great things going with my business i created a very successful business when i was living the most chaotic life a person can imagine and the people I was attracting into my business that were working for me were not much better off than I was. 
And my intuition always told me, don't hire them. They're not good fits for the job. But because it was the easiest thing to do, and I was super uncomfortable with having conversations with people, I did what, what I call now is the foggy mirror, te- foggy mirror test. I put a mirror under their nose, and if it fogs up, I hired them, right? And uh, so again, yeah, I just, I totally, totally ignored my intuition. Um, that shifted as I started taking real control over the business. And like I, when I came back from my first stint in rehab, I totally rebuilt uh, that business. I got rid of everything that wasn't working and redid it. But um, now I, my intuition is really good with people. I, I sit back and I listen more and I see what comes up for me. You know, are they, what they're saying is their body, what they're saying in harmony, right? Because a lot, like I said, people will say something and their body will tell you a whole different story. And I sit there and I listen and I feel, and my intuition has not, um, has not let me down really since I restructured the company. I've attracted some of the most amazing people. Um, I think that's also because I changed. Um, I was ready for these people too. I would not have been able to appreciate them before either. Yeah. So it serves you, me very well. Yeah. And, and I remember you telling me, and I find this to be quite amazing when people do this. So you, at some point you wanted to go to a particular rehab and this might be when you came back and started transforming things um, where somebody supported you doing that. And then you kind of repaid them and, and that kind of helped launch everything. Cause I, I that's, hard to do and and so can you can you just share a bit about that story and yeah how that maybe fits into this yeah absolutely so it's interesting because when you mentioned the the young girl that you were dating I think you said around 12 13 it reminded me of the girl I won't say her name just for confidentiality purpose she was a yeah. girl she's a woman now it reminded me of her because around 13 years old is the when I first dated her we dated twice uh, when I was a young teenager, and then when I was uh, late teens, early 20s. And she, at that time, in my early teens, told me, like, something is wrong. Like, you need, you need help, you know? And that was the only person that said anything to me that I recall. Um, and I ignored it. So when you, when you were talking about that little story, immediately I thought of her. But she and I dated again when I was in my late teens, early 20s, and um, didn't work out because I didn't really change much. But she came back into my life when I needed someone to help take care of a lot of responsibilities for my company when I went away for six weeks and she showed up and I would never have been able to go away if it wasn't for her. And so she was like huge in, in that step of my life of getting to where I needed to go next. And it, like you said, it took a lot of character for her to do that. You know, from some of the hurt and the pain that she went through with me, she showed up again and supported me when I needed, I didn't deserve it, <laughs> um, but she knew I needed it and she showed up and, and really showed up in a big way. Wow, amazing. So, okay, so where, what, what do you do? Well, can't explain the business and how you turned it into what it is and then also what you're doing now as as sort of an entrepreneur coach and and yeah absolutely. whatever it else yeah describe it the way it should be described not <laughs> so how I, i'm trying to put it <laughs> so yeah I, I own and operate a very successful uh, commercial office cleaning company in our city toronto 
And the way that became really so successful, and this is the story I think you said you resonated with, was um, I really started figuring out how, how, so in this business, there's a huge problem with turnover. Um, a lot of people are extorting immigrants in this kind of business. I'm not saying all, but there's a lot. They'll pay them really cheap, have them working for cash, push them you know, very hard and really zero recognition. And I obviously am not a person that's gonna do that. And I figured, started thinking like, how can I really build something different that's impactful? How can I help people that are working for me? Cause I mean, I'm making good money and at the bottom end, people are not making good money at all. So to me, it didn't seem fair. Like, yes, I took the risk. Yes, I grew the company. Yes, I'm the one that put it all out there to do this, but they're also, without them, I couldn't be where I'm at. So how can I give back to them? And how, how can I make a difference to them? So what I decided was I was gonna help them all start their own companies. And that's what I did. So everyone that works with me has their own company now. I helped them start their company. I've taught them what they need to do. And, and I've created just this incredible team where I can step away from my business for as long as I want. And I don't have to worry about anything because they are so ready to serve because I've done so much for them that uh, we're all just a big family, really. Um, I think I shared with you a woman, Anna, that came from Colombia. She was uh, divorced, uh, raising her daughter. She barely, when I met her, she barely had enough money for rent. She, she could barely get by for rent. And I, I saw her, I met her, my intuition told me she was a really good person. What she was telling me was true. Um, and I just wanted to help her. She's just, if you meet her, she's just the, the nicest woman, like just really good soul, just really good person. And so I started her with her company right away. I started giving her contracts. I helped her register her company. And, you know, she's living in a really nice place now. She's got a two bedroom. She's got a vehicle. Um, her health is better. She's not stressed anymore. Um, you know, her daughter is finally, you know, having new clothes and put through school and they have food on the table. And um, it's just really rewarding to do things like that. It's just, like I said, when I started the company, my goal was to make money. I started making money. I became unhappier than ever. I went through that whole um, cycle of you know, rehab and all that stuff. So that's actually one of the first things I did when I started my company was started investing into my recovery. That was as soon as I got my first paycheck, that was the first thing I did was actually reinvest it back into myself. And so I, my first goal was to make a hundred grand. And when I got up to a hundred grand, I thought for some reason, I thought I was gonna be happy. The bills, the, you know, the bells, the whistles would go off and everything would be great. And so I got there and nothing happened, no celebration, nothing. And I was actually more unhealthy and more unhappy than I ever was. And so I realized that, you know, when you make more money, you're not going to be happier. And so that was also what played into how can I get more meaning? How, like, is this just it? Am I going to just keep going and getting new cleaning contracts, hiring new people? And is this what my life is going to be? And to me, that sounds like, no, I don't want to live my life like that. It doesn't sound rewarding at all. So that's why another reason, like, I was like, well, I need to find more meaning. I need to give more back. So that's another reason I wanted to start helping um, a lot of these people that were coming and looking for work. Awesome. Yeah. So that, that, how, wow, there's so many kind of, storylines that are awesome one would be which i think i'm very much connected to is what does it look like to evolve our 
economic system in some ways, you could say, the capitalist system, um, which is under attack from all angles right now in our social discourse, but which I think is valid. The, the criticism is, is usually valid. Where the criticism falls off is we don't have any alternatives. So rather than just bitching and whining about it, why don't you go show us what's possible and, and what you just described as a beautiful example of what is possible. So it's just another form of how businesses may function differently. And, and yeah. you described kind of supporting employees to create their own wealth in some sense, or their own story, their own sense of empowered, I don't know, whatever it is, um, which is amazing. And and then, so that I think is awesome. And, and, and the, the saying is always, I don't know my starts with me shirt on, but it says, uh, I don't expect you to change the world because I know it starts with me. And yeah. anyway, that's my, that's my little P PSA announcement of like, <laughs> stop bitching and whining and go show people what is possible. And, and you're doing that in, in your business context. Um, how, how did the, entrepreneurial the the proctor stuff like what's going on yeah. there how does that happen and and how do you transition into that and what are yeah. you doing with that i love your psa and it, it reminds me like yeah i might not be able to change the world but i can change someone's world someone changed right. my world right right and that person was actually bob two people really uh was this one therapist i named uh, and I'll, I'll say his name here if anyone ever really needs a solid therapist check him out uh his name is Basalo wolf um based in Toronto, that man, that man there was the only man that I ever felt um, up until that time in my life that I ever was accepted by. Like he, he was a special person. He is still a special person. And uh, yeah, he, um, he certainly, certainly was there for me when I needed someone. Um, but Bob, Bob Proctor was the person that changed my life for sure. Um, I could get into the long story about how I stumbled into Bob, but um, essentially it was as a person that's always invested in myself, I started investing in different types of strategic coaching to help grow my business and, and uh, streamline the systems and all that stuff. And started working with some really top companies in North America, like really well-known coaches. And again, it was just, I'm walking into the room and, you know, I'm, I'm making as much as these people because you have to qualify to come into these programs. But again, I just didn't feel like I belong. And they talk about the imposter syndrome and blah, blah, blah. I just, I just didn't feel like I belonged again and I stuck it out and I went through the programs a couple of years with this program, a year with this program. And I was like, my intuition's telling me something's missing, something's missing. And I get, I just couldn't put my finger on it. And as much as I was going to therapy and getting progress there, um, very slow, I just knew something was missing and I could not figure out what the heck it was. And then I said, okay, I'm not renewing with these guys. I've spent a couple of years there. I can see if the past is the best predictor of the future, things aren't really going to change too much. And so then I was like, I remember Bob. I was introduced to Bob like 12 years prior to that. I, I knew of him. Um, and so I decided just to sign up with one of his like entry-level courses. And right away, I was like, oh, wow. Like it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I knew what I was missing. And it was the mindset. Like I just really had no control over my thinking. Um, and then I progressed through some of his earlier courses and then I took some of his other courses and like things just really started to shift for me. Like one good example, and, I, and I'm saying this not to impress anyone, but 
but just to impress upon you and just remind myself of how powerful it is. So I had a client that was worth about a hundred grand and um, they were working me like a dog. They were calling me all types of day, all in the evening, on the weekends. And I virtually became a slave to them and I didn't like them. They were very, um, it started off really well, the relationship, but they became very demanding, very ungrateful, very expecting. And uh, I really didn't want to work with them anymore, but I was petrified to say, to say that I didn't want to lose the money. I mean, who, who's going to walk away from a contract that size, right? And um, it's not all profit, but it was, a, it was a hefty profit in there. And I was so scared. And then as I started studying with Bob's early material, he introduced me to this law um, and, and just the different laws of the universe and how money works. And he told me that, um, you know, the universe abhors a vacuum. So what that means is if you create a space for something, something else will come in. And I heard, I must've heard that a thousand times. And then eventually I understood it and I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. So I went and these people invited me in for a meeting because they weren't happy about something. And I actually fired them there. And, and I'm not saying I was rude about it. I was very polite about it. And I told them I would support them until they got a new cleaning company in. Uh, but the looks on their face were priceless because I don't think anyone's ever said no to them. Um, but at the same time, I was really afraid because I was like, what did I do? Like, how am I going to get this money? And But that was literally the shift of my company there because I've always dreamt and written down and visualized what type of clients I wanted. I wanted clients that would appreciate me, that would value me, that I'd go for lunch with. And like, I had this whole idea of things and, and that's where it happened. It shifted right there. Um, so I got off on a bit of a tangent there. Um, no, that's, so go ahead, Mike. can you... Sorry, I want to just pause you there on because that's such a great example of you knew something kind of wasn't right with this client. Um, you kind of found the way of articulating that internally and realizing, okay, this isn't, and you make the decision, okay, I'm going to kind of end this relationship. That's a big move as well that I think people in business and life in general have difficulty with. So can you maybe go into that a bit more? How did you internalize that? And then how did you have the confidence to just go in there and make that choice? Yeah. So, I mean, I sat, it's, it's funny, like you can probably relate to, I think most people can, we can hum and haw and be in that place of ambivalence for days or weeks or months. And it's just a torturous place to be. Like there's a part, we have these conflicting feelings to the same idea, right? Love them, leave them, stay, go. And that's how I was feeling with them. And then just, like I said, after I've heard that like a thousand times, I made that decision. So I knew from that point in time, once I made that decision, I was no going back. Like I just knew it. Um, I went around it. I circled around it. I spent countless times talking about it in therapy and how do you feel? And, you know, how would you feel if you did this? And it's like, it wasn't getting me anywhere. I just, I simply had to make a decision, Right. And I, I wasn't good at making decisions back then. I would sit in ambivalence for days and hours and it's torture. And as I was learning these things, I realized like, I have to make a decision. Like no one's gonna make it for me. That's the things with decisions. No one can make them for you. They can talk to you, you can get their opinions. Everyone has their own opinion, but no one can make that decision for you. It's a skill and the only person that can do it is us. So once I made the decision to myself, I knew on the way to that meeting, it was done. But when I was, I was just laughing at something about it. when I was saying the words, I honestly, I didn't even feel like I was in my body. I was like, it came out 
and it came out really well and it happened so fast i was back in my car leaving i was like what the f did i just do you know <laughs> yeah that's amazing that's it was amazing. hilarious um <laughs> i don't regret it to this day awesome so so you continue along the sort of this learning pathway and and how is that yeah so yeah how does that go so I would share, like, I went in there originally trying to impact my business, but what happened was I did nothing, no studying on my business at all. And I actually started studying myself and learning about myself and learning how my mind worked and learning how my mind and feelings impacted my world. And it shifted everything for me. Um, I just, my company really, really changed at that point over those, those few years and like it became self-managing. So then I had all this free time on my hands and all I did was study and, and talk to people about this information. I was, I just loved it. And then I knew like, what's the next step here. And I went out with Bob on my birthday and I realized like the next step for me is to start working with this company and start sharing this information because I truly believe that people can get changes so fast, so quick without all the suffering, without making it so long and drawn out when we start learning this stuff that it would scare you. And I'm watching it now. Like I have a lot of clients that are getting changes that honestly took me a long time to get. And, and I'm watching them change and change very quickly and changing from the inside out as opposed to going to the outside and changing the, what's going on around us. Um, it's quite remarkable. And um, how, can, what, what would be an example of that in your own world of going from where you were to learning certain things and then behaving differently now? What's, if you can come up with an, an example, example? One of them. Yeah. I gave this example. So I had the privilege of speaking to 30 actors last week on a call uh, there from Hollywood. And uh, I was able to um, get on a call with them and share some information. And uh, I gave the example because they're in a place where they get no all the time. They get more no's than yeses. And that can be so deflating to someone that's trying to go somewhere in Hollywood, anywhere. But Hollywood, that's, the, that's where the persistence test is the greatest, I think. Um, you get so many no's, so much rejection. You get showed all the reasons why you can't do this. They never tell you that, hey, you're great. They tell you you're too short, you're too white, you're too tall, you're too fat. Like, they just pick you apart. And so mindset is huge there. Um, any event, the thing I shared with them the most, um, I think impactful example was, so when I, when I lost my first client as a, as a business owner, um, it was like a four or $500 a month client. And like, I lost my shit over this. Like I couldn't sleep. I was depressed. And, you know, I, I just had this pity party that went on for days, if not weeks. And when COVID hit, our city shut down within a week and I, and I lost probably 40% of my company's revenue in a week. And I kid you not, I didn't even lose an, a wink of sleep. I went to bed, didn't bother me at all because I've, I understand now how things work and I, and I have so much more control over my thinking. I knew, I knew I'd be fine. I knew I could find a way to, to get it back. I, I, I mean, immediately I looked at the good. I was like, wow, that's great that I didn't lose it all. So right away, I'm ahead of the game. And it's just that whole perception of how I see things shifted. And it's, it's so powerful. Like, I don't, I don't take things personally really too often anymore. Um, 
It's like, once you have control over your thinking and it's a daily thing, like I have so much more to learn. It's a thing I study every day and I will study for the rest of my life. Um, Bob's 87 years old. He's, I mean, Bob's doing incredibly well. He's making millions of dollars a month. Um, You know, he could have retired many years ago. He could have stopped studying many years ago, but Bob is still studying every day. He sets goals for him that scare him. You know, he's, it's an incredible, incredible example of, of this type of learning and this type of material. So. Yeah, that's the, the idea of the, the gratitude, the going from, I can't believe I lost X to thank goodness. I didn't lose Y kind of thing is, is, yeah, it's pretty incredible. I think yeah, what, what's coming up for me a bit now and something that's been on my mind lately is how, and you, your story is a good example of there's sort of two realms of psychological transformation in some ways or growth, or there's many realms, but we'll all use these two for now. One is sort of the more traditional mental health system, therapies, um, psychiatry, medication, so on and so forth. And I'm not denigrating either because they're both important. And then there's the other, which is more maybe mindset or coaching oriented or I don't know, whatever, life purpose oriented, who knows? Um, personally, I think having a, a blend of both is best. Although again, it depends on the person, the, the situation and so on and so forth. And I also think many of the most effective tools that have been discovered in psychology or psychotherapy or wisdom traditions are just sort of repackaged and maybe all the unnecessary noise has been sliced off of them. And that's where you get really these mindset coaching kind of programs that start to thrive, but they really are very similar in their approach. Um, which is fascinating. And I wonder how, how would you kind of describe a person or in a situation where if I'm somebody who has uh, perhaps like a mental health condition or, or some sort of suffering, a deeper suffering that's impacting their ability to, to work through business and, or be more successful financially, where do those two worlds kind of collide or, or how, I don't know. I don't even really know the question, but I think you get the sense of what I'm trying I, I do. to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I periodically, I was angry when I started to really grasp this, when I started working directly with Bob's company, um, I started connecting with some people that, you know, have had some incredibly challenging childhoods and stuff like that as well. And they talked about how once they got their hands on this material, how they really shifted. And I became like angry at first wondering that, did I waste all this time? Did I spend all this money? Could I have just found this? But the whole thing is, if I was meant to find it earlier, I would have, I would have not went through all the therapy and all this stuff. I wasn't ready for this information. So I don't think it was a waste at all. I mean, I, it got me where I was. Was it a lot longer? It could have been. Do I still use some of it today? Absolutely. It, it's made me so well-rounded and so much depth to my character that I can serve people better. So again, it's like looking for the good in it, right? 
um, if I didn't do all that, I wouldn't have been led to where I was led to. So it's, it's about finding the good in it. So what I, your question, like, what I, what would I say to someone there? I would say if like learn, learning to not define your present from your past is so crucial because I've been, I don't want to use quotes and it might offend someone, but because I've been diagnosed with ADHD or OCD or hyperactivity, um, I can't do this. I will never be able to sit down and study. I will never be, I, I call bullshit on that. You know, that's them allowing someone's diagnosis to define what they can or can't do. And my nephew is in one of my, one of the programs I teach. He's ADHD, um, hyperactive, and he was popped up on all types of pills. He doesn't take them anymore because he's learned how to take control of his own mind. It took him a lot of work and he still has a lot of work to go. But I mean, the transformation this guy had in a year is insane. He started his own business. He's 19. I just helped him register his first business. You know, a year ago, he was drinking alcohol and, and on like Adderall or whatever they give people for ADHD, right? In one year, he shifted incredibly. So, it, you know, I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. I'm just saying I know what works for me and I'm seeing how it works for other people. Yeah, I think there's something, I don't know how to kind of frame it, but the part I, I think which you didn't necessarily say explicitly but I know you mean or intend or I've heard you would sort of say before it's not so much what you're doing necessarily as opposed to is it actually helping you become who you want to become and and that that I think is what's most important for people to answer it's like if a certain medication or a certain doctor or psychiatrist or therapist is actually helping you become the person that you want to become, then that's wonderful. There's no yeah. need to sort of criticize that. And then on the other side, if that's not working, that's okay too. And I think you and I, I share a bit of what you were saying before about being able to trust our intuition to say, okay, maybe there I've gotten benefit out of this but it's not serving me anymore. I need to explore. I need to look further. Yeah. And so it, again, I think it is important to reiterate it. Certain things, certainly, I don't know. I, I don't know where I stand on this, uh, this kind of um, some approaches are better than others, I think is true, <laughs> but really it's about the person and what is helpful yeah. in serving them. And is it Absolutely. leading them towards the place they want to go, or at least away from what they don't want. And then, and then how that plays out is up to the universe in some ways, but yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I realized too, it's like, we talk a lot about how the mind works with this material, how this conscious mind influences the subconscious mind, which influences behavior. And one of the things I think that made the greatest impact for me as I was learning this is that um, Bob has this drawing he didn't originate it. It was originated around 1934 from a doctor in San Antonio, Texas. It gave us a picture of the mind. We've never, we don't have a picture of the mind. The mind is an activity, it's not a thing. And when he started giving me something to work with, because uh, we think in pictures, like if you think, anytime you think and you shut your eyes and you think of your fridge or think of your car, or you think of your bedroom, like the screen, the image flashes on the screen of your mind. And we can't change things unless we have a picture of it. So as I started getting a picture of how the mind works, it just started to make so much more sense to me. 
And that's how I started to shift even quicker because I started to see how uh, the outside was impacting me and how the inside was impacting the outside and what I was thinking was impacting what I was doing. And it just became so much more clear. Yeah. Well, some people are more inclined to think in words or pictures or a combination of both. Um, and so way I think I'm understanding it as being able to visualize or imagine and see things more clearly is, is really powerful. And there's a ton of scientific and spiritual evidence for that. Yeah. Is that kind of what you mean? Like being able to imagine things and, and bringing them? No, like literally, no? I mean, I could, I could show you one day here, I would show you the diagram of how it works and give you a proper, um, proper, sure, like, sure. um, proper, like, example description or whatever yeah description yeah but it, it's literally just having this picture of how the mind works how how change really happens um it's, i know it's very abstract right now but, you know. no but yeah no i think at least from my understanding of that and there's no well i shouldn't say there's no the the scientific slash um philosophical world there's not consensus on this specifically on, on like, this is right, that's wrong. But generally speaking, of course, our thoughts influence our moods and our moods influence our thoughts and our pictures of things, the way we, we interpret reality and the yeah. way we interpret our past and what's possible, all that kind of comes together to influence our present. And if we can reinterpret our thoughts of, perhaps the past or come to terms with them and then train ourselves to think differently about what that means about us and how we can be more optimistic or be more you said something earlier which was awesome and this fits here i think is being of service like yeah. how can i be helpful to the present moment whether that's to myself the people around me and how does that connect to a the bigger vision of of a healthier happier yeah world or community that was a bit yeah. of a, a word salad but yeah. <laughs> but it's true <laughs> and i mean 12-step programs are that's what they're notorious for is being of service that's how people get real traction in the 12-step recovery programs is as being of service to other people that are struggling and uh that's one of the universal laws is the law of um the impression of increase right cause and effect so I, I share that a lot too. And when I think about back about how I became successful, it was because I was helping people and yeah. then I became successful. You don't get successful first and then help people. You actually can do it the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you give, the more you get back. Yeah. It's so, I'll, I'll connect that to one way that I understand how the mind works in terms of we have sort of the thinking machine the problem solving part of the mind that's always identifying gain loss up down good bad i don't want this i do want that and it's very problem solution oriented that part of our mind thinking can't comprehend this idea that by doing for others is good for me too anyway it's a, a short snippet of that idea and and when we can sink ourselves into or we can allow or let go of this idea that if i'm not looking out for me so to speak i won't be successful but it, right. it's a really that's a big one and i think a lot in the in in the world now is like Absolutely. especially in the business world yeah 
yeah, we've been, so many people have been taught to compete over, um, you know, create. If you're, you can't create and compete at the same time. And it's so crucial. And I think most of the reason is we've been taught to live through our senses. We internalize everything through our, our physical senses and that's how we interact with the world. So I don't right. see physically how that's going to benefit me, right? I don't see an immediate return from this person. The problem is yeah. if I'm going to help that person directly, that's not who I'm expecting it back from. I'm expecting it back that it will come to me and it has tenfold, but I'm not expecting it from that person because that's trading. That's, you know, I'm giving to you with the expectation, but I I am giving with the expectation that I know it will come back to me, but just, I'm not expecting it back from you. Right. And even maybe expectation in this context, isn't the right word. It's sort of giving or, or being of service because we know in some sense, it's the right thing to do with, with the faith or the, I don't know, um, belief, perhaps, I don't know what word understanding people. Yeah. That it will ideally come back or even if it doesn't, that's okay too, because it's still the right thing to do in some ways. Yeah. And it has to though, because it's a law, um, like energy always returns back to the source of origination. So if I'm giving good to someone, I'm creating space in my life for more good to come back in. And if we're aware and we're, you know, we're present and and grounded we can see it coming in you'll recognize it yeah that's a great point is i think one thing that is really helpful for people who are perhaps in a place of uncertainty or just tension in their life what they're doing is helping them orient to seeing the positive things and to be grateful for certain things and that i think you said this idea of you create a space and things fill it or something, but that's part of that too, is the more you can open yourself up to positive emotion or to these more open type of ways of looking at yourself in the world, it's really powerful and it does help a lot. It does. Um, It's so interesting too. It's like, there's, even when I was at my worst and I had all these problems in the world, it really wasn't so bad. You know, like compared to some of the other people in the world that really have it bad, like, you know, I had yeah. a roof over my head. I mean, yeah, I was struggling with mental health and I'm not trying to, to say that wasn't a problem, but overall, yeah, yeah, like it really, there's so much more going right in my life than there wasn't. And we focus, mm, we're so mm, trained mm, and mm. focused to look for that 5% of things that were going bad, you know, that 10%. And there's so many other things to be grateful for that are going well in our life. And we just don't recognize it because of our programming. Yeah, totally. I'm going to throw in a little jargony stuff here in terms in psychology that's been termed like the negativity bias or more specifically like trait negativity, but we evolved to look for negative information in our environment, mostly to keep our bodies safe from death, from predators or from other perhaps invading tribes and so on and so forth. So that's deeply ingrained in the human mind is the negativity bias. So now that we're not physically in danger so much, this obsession with negative information is turned to uh, news or social media, or as you said, the, the images that our minds create about reality, and then it gets stuck on that. And the other side of that, another way to think about it is the mind is like, 
um, sponge for negative information and Teflon yeah. for positive information. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do we, how do we, we, and we actually have to train ourselves with discernment and attention to focus on the, what is there, what is present, what's, what's to be grateful for, what's happening yeah. that's good. And yeah. And, and that's part of the, that's a daily practice as you also have described yeah. like all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, when you start living the other way around and start training yourself to look for the good in everything, like life, everything opens up. There's so many opportunities show yeah. up and just you're vibrating higher, you're healthier because you're, you, what you're feeling is a more, um, it's a more health. I mean, when you're vibrating negatively, it's, it's, it's really bad for your health. The cells are in a negative vibration. It creates disease. You know, you're repressing emotions. It's disintegration. When you're feeling positive and grateful, and I'm not saying you run around the world like everything's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> in, in our world, there's opposites. You can't have one without the other. So if there's good, there's bad. Yeah. It's just by law. If you have an up, you have a down. If you have an in, you have an out. You, there's just no way around that. So if something's really bad, there has to be some really good in it. And you don't just discount it and say, I don't feel anything. I'm invincible. But you, you have to learn to look. What am I, what's the lesson from this? What am I learning? What What's the good that can come out of this or else it's just a, I think a waste of time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think I'll, I'll add one thing to that is, and my sponsor said this to me, who really is now my best friend, I would say, or one of, um, life punishes you first, then teaches you the lesson. And so that's, if you're willing to see the lesson, right. Or be open to the lesson kind of, as you're describing is, is yeah. there's always kind of the duality and so how do we not get stuck in the the pity party or the whatever else you want to call it and how do we and that takes that's hard too when you're kind of resentful and annoyed and angry at the world that message is just like go fuck yourself don't tell me that yeah. i can find something good in this you know yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. and like i love that you also said it's important to and this is where i think some pop psychology like positive mindset stuff is a bit bullshit is just you can't have one without the other which i think is wonderful way to put it but you don't have to let one side drag you down you don't have to let the negative drag you down but you do have to honor and validate that it's there or at yeah. least acknowledge it something yeah. like that yeah and i mean i do and i just don't stick around as long in it and it just doesn't happen yeah. as often and the things that right. used to really get me down I know I have a choice now. I have a choice. Am I going, yeah. it's not that you ignore it, but it's like, I have a choice. What am, what am I going to do with this now? Am I going to choose to sit there and talk to everyone about it? Am I going to just make it, you know, just keep telling the same story? Like, you know, it's five o'clock today and you wouldn't believe at 7am this morning, someone cut me off, like, and just start, keep, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, you got to just yeah, move yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, maybe, uh, Anything else you want to add or just um, how might people learn about kind of some of the work you're doing and, and how, how would you leave that? For those of you that are listening and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you're stuck, reach out to me on Instagram. My IG handle is curtis.stamp and I'll talk to you and I'll show you how the Proctor Gallagher Institute and myself can literally transform your life by taking you through a step-by-step -step process that will accelerate your results and show you how to go from stuck to unstoppable. This is the exact process that I use to transform my life. And I have dedicated my life now to helping others do the same.
Yeah. And all that. Oh, so we'll include that in the show notes and the uh, content. People can find you there. And any, awesome. any last words of whatever that you want no, to say? Um, just yeah. wanted to thank you for having me on. It, it was actually a real pleasure to chat with you and connect and awesome to see your growth as well. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And um, I hope I'm actually getting a vaccine next week. So, oh, we're a step closer to I'm seeing 40. each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm 40 now. Well, I'm almost 40, but I qualify for the new. And of course, being transparent is important. I, I went through the whole, wait a second, vaccine. I'm scared. I don't want a vaccine. Yeah. What if it's this? What if it's that? And then the all, and then the dust settles. And, you know, for me, I'm just going to do it, whatever I think it's helpful. And um, I'm not against the anti-vaxxers. I don't think that's helpful, but yeah. uh we all want to get back to normal. So Absolutely. anyhow, yeah, we really I'm going do. to get, I'm going Good to get my shot. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared, but anyway, I'll be, I'll yeah. get over it. I'll be okay. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah. I'll be fine for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gertis. Yeah. My pleasure, Mike. Um,